Well, I uh, don't have too many strong memories before my sister was born. She's a, a little bit more than four years younger than me. And uh, it's mostly just kind of vague images and a definite sense that something changed when the baby got here. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one particular memory, though, that sticks out largely because looking back on it, looking back in retrospect, um, it's, it's rather embarrassing when you, when you look back at it. Like many kids who were born in the late 70s, part of my Saturday morning routine was watching those Saturday morning cartoons. Um, my, my understanding is that's not a thing anymore. Like all the, the network TV Saturday morning cartoons are just gone. So that's, uh, that's a shame. Y'all are missing out, kids. I'm just telling you. <laughs> but part of that Saturday morning cartoon routine was watching the Smurfs of, in, the, in those days, in the, in, the, in the 70s and the 80s. And I really enjoyed that, that particular cartoon. And one Christmas in my early childhood, my, mo my mom's mom, my abuelita, she knew how much I liked the Smurfs, and so she bought me a pair of Smurf slippers with a plush Smurf head on each toe, one of those fuzzy slippers that, that kids tend to get. You'd think that uh, with my love for that cartoon, I would have been happy. But since it wasn't a toy, I actually cried when I got it instead. <laughs> my poor grandmother, right? I mean, talk about the ingratitude of little children. Well, today, as we continue in our Trinity Tide sermon series from the official epistle to the Ephesians, we're going to see that St. Paul discusses the various gifts from God and the calling from God and how those gifts are not always the same for every person. Nevertheless, God knows what he's doing with those gifts. His distribution of the gifts is ultimately for our benefit and the benefit of his whole church. So please open up in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. Ephesians 4, 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So once again, St. Paul begins a major section of his epistle with a conjunction, I therefore. So he's pointing us back to the end of chapter 3 that we talked about last week and was also your epistle reading uh, for today. Had I planned the series a little bit better, maybe I would have made that uh, today's epistle reading for what we did last week, but that's okay. Um, you do have the context then for what's happening in chapter 4 here. It points us back to the end of chapter 3 where Paul praises the Lord for that common root in love and for God's work in his people, that work that is, as St. Paul says, far more abundant than we could imagine. So because of what God has done on a spiritual level in the inner man, as our, pa our epistle passage said, with Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, because of all this, then we get to today's reading from Ephesians 4, Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace, 
All of these things are possible because of what God has done in our hearts. Those things described at the end of chapter 3. It is, it is, we are called to live according to who we are as Christians. Who we have become in Christ Jesus when he came to live in our hearts. Again, as he said last week in chapter 3. We've often mentioned this, but it bears repeating um, as we paraphrase from Article 12 in the 39 Articles of Religion, that our good works are the fruit of our justification. They're the fruit of having been made righteous by Christ, the fruit of the faith that is the gift of God to us. So in your flesh, you may be proud, harsh, and impatient, but in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation, a new creature who is and can be humble, gentle, and patient. And so that's how we should walk. The change of heart that comes from becoming a Christian that is at the root of those new actions, first of all, that is a, a gift from God. It might not be explicit that this is one of God's gifts in the text, but it's definitely implied in the text. The gift is given to all Christians in one way or another when you become born again. You don't earn your call by being humble, gentle, and patient, but because you have been called to be God's child, who, because you've been united to his son, Jesus Christ, then you were urged to walk according to that calling. Part of the calling... Part of God's gift is this consistent theme we've seen in Ephesians of unity. St. Paul wrote in today's passage, there is one body and one spirit. So even though the church is tragically divided, it's sinfully divided. Let's be honest about that. That's a mark of our human sin that the church is divided. On that institutional and political level, on a spiritual level, we are one body. For, as St. Paul said, we're empowered by the one Holy Spirit. So how do we know this? Well, it's because we've all been called to that one hope, the hope of resurrection in Christ. You're not going to find a Christian tradition that doesn't celebrate the resurrection, right? That doesn't look forward to the resurrection of us because Christ has been resurrected. So this idea of, of that one spirit, that one resurrection, that one hope, and the other things that we read in this verse, that's why we don't rebaptize people that come into this tradition from other Christian traditions. As long as it is Christian baptism, so that's baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we consider other traditions' baptism to be valid. So there's not Catholic baptism and Presbyterian baptism and Baptist baptism any more than there's San Antonio baptism and London baptism, right? It's all one baptism, just as there is one God and Father of all. So though there is one faith, one baptism, and one God, there are different gifts in the church. So let's pick up at verse 7. <coughs> but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, as he gave, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. <clears throat> and he gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So you may recall from our communion liturgy that we group together, as we say in the communion liturgy, the mighty resurrection and glorious ascension of the Lord. In the great litany, we do something similar when we pray that the Lord would deliver us by thy glorious resurrection and ascension. When our Lord ascended into heaven, he completed those glories of the resurrection. In the resurrection, he conquered death. And in the ascension, the resurrected Lord enters into the, holy, the heavenly temple to pray for us and to minister as our high priest. When he rose... He freed us from captivity to sin and death. When he ascended, he gave us the gifts that are necessary to continue the mission here on earth, to continue his mission here on earth. So in this passage, notice that those gifts um, of scripture all have to do with leading and equipping the church. There's various different lists of gifts, and um, sometimes a little bit too much is read into the different lists. But, the, but in this passage, we have a specific list that's all about leading and equipping the church. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And the truth is, in the church, we've never had full agreement as to what each of these titles translates into the church today. Like, like how do you make a one-to-one -one correlation? There's never been full agreement on that. Um, even in church history, we don't see the full agreement. For example, St. John Chrysostom sees these as historical descriptions of the different um, the different leaders in the church during St. Paul's Day. You had your 12 apostles, but then you also had folks like Agabus who were prophesying and other folks that were um, evangelists like St. Luke and St. Mark who weren't part of the 12, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's what St. John Chrysostom sees it. But other church fathers uh, do try to make that one-to-one -one correlation for the ecclesiastical offices of their day. Okay, this group corresponds to our lectors, this group corresponds to our exorcists, this group corresponds to our bishops, etc., etc. And then other folks, um, both historically and today, will kind of see them more as um, a description of the kinds of leadership that different people may have a gifting towards in the church. You know, so those who are gifted towards church planting may be having an apostolic ministry, for example. And that's, that's the way some folks will, will interpret today. And we also can see that this is not an exhaustive list of those church leadership because we don't have deacons, right? And by this time, we certainly had deacons serving in the church. But at any rate, all of those debates and discussions are really beside the main point, which is God's gifts. God gives these gifts as he sees fit for the sake of building up the body of Christ. Chrysostom observes that the temptation to arrogance, despondency, or the temptation to envy, when we look at what other people are gifted in, is a constant thing in human nature. This is what he writes. He said, for this reason, Paul uses the simile of the body everywhere. Pay attention to what he says. He does not say according to each one's faith so that he may not induce despondency in those who have not received the greater gifts. Rather, what does he say? according to the measure of Christ's gift. The truly capital things, that means the truly important things, St. Paul says, are common to all, 
baptism, salvation by faith, having God as Father, and partaking in the same Spirit. If someone has more grace, feel no resentment, for his task is greater too. And what does according to the measure mean? It does not mean according to our own merit, for if so, then no one would have received what he received. But but of Jesus' gift, of his gift, we have all received. Why has one received more and another less? This, Paul says, means nothing. But it is a matter of indifference since each person contributes to the work of upbuilding. So in whatever way you have been called to serve in the church, whatever way God has given you gifts for serving the church, and by the way, that's not just in this building, right? That's outside these walls in the greater community of faith. Uh, one, one of the brothers at first service said, you know, my, I believe God gifted me in such and such a way that doesn't, we don't do that in the church. Like, absolutely, you're right. That has been a gift that God gave you, right? And that, that doesn't take place during the service, during Sunday school, but it is part of serving the church. So in whatever way you've been called and gifted for serving the church, rejoice and serve gladly for that equipping and edification of the whole body. Earlier this week, we received an email from the bishop uh, saying that he had received permission from the Church of Nigeria to um, elect suffragan bishops for our diocese because he's one man and we've got a whole bunch of churches and we're geographically expansive. Um, And so we need some assisting bishops, some suffragan bishops. Unfortunately, in his email, in his letter, he also had to include a rebuke telling people not to get their clergy friends and their bishop friends to lobby on their behalf to make them suffragans. And the bishop actually went a little bit further. He says, if this is your attitude, you might need to check to see if you're really a Christian. (laughs) Bishop Orgy is not known for pulling his punches. Such politicking has no place in the life of the church even though we can sadly admit that it has been ever-present. We see this in the book of Acts. We see this throughout church history. But that is not the way we're supposed to act. Rather, we should all use our gifts to help ground the church in the truth of Scripture so that we would not be tossed to and fro by doctrinal fads, by human cunning, or by craftiness. Whether they are apostles or prophets, or evangelists, or shepherds, or teachers, whether they're bishops, or priests, or deacons, or Bible study facilitators, or catechists, or ushers, or choir members, or altar guild members, or daughters of the Holy Cross, whatever it is, we are to exhort each other to put our anchor in the truth of God's word. So St. Paul gives us an idea of what this proper use of our gifts looks like. So let's pick up on verse 15, uh, the end of our passage today. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Spiritual growth requires the truth, and it requires love. It can be all too easy to weaponize the truth. Rather than using the truth in love, it can be very easy to use it to hurt the other person, to belittle him, or to build ourselves up, right? And this is a misuse of truth. That's not how we're supposed to use the truth. 
A good example of this might be for those of us who enjoy the, uh, the art of apologetics, that art of um, defending the faith, arguing the reasonableness of the faith. Folks, folks of, those of us who like apologetics need to remember that no one was ever argued into the faith. It doesn't work that way. If God's Spirit's not speaking to somebody, it's not going to work. And what can happen in those situations, if you're not careful, is you might win an argument, but you might lose a soul. On the other hand, on the other hand, the truth can be hard to hear at times, and love does not excuse us from telling the truth. It's not loving to tell comfortable lies. It's not loving to hide the truth for fear of hurting somebody's feelings. The truth itself is a gift from God because we are spiritually blind without his intervention. We've talked about that so many times. So as Christians, we have a responsibility to use the truth with love and to love in a true manner. One of the ways we can tell that true love or love that, or truth that is in love is that it points us to Christ. Ultimately, everything we do as Christians should be pointing in one way or another to Christ. And we'll see that St. Paul here uses the analogy of the body with Christ as the body's head. So this is also very helpful when we think of the differing gifts as well as that call to unity that we see again and again in the book of Ephesians. None of the members of the body works independent of the rest of the body. You don't go send your hand off on a mission while your foot is doing another mission, right? It doesn't work that way. Even a drummer who uses all four limbs is still doing one thing, right? <laughs> Even though they're acting kind of independently, they're really not. And even we see in Scripture that Christ himself, Christ does not act on his own. He says, I don't speak on my own. I speak what the Father told me. I don't do my own thing. I do what I've been, what I've been sent to do. <clears throat> um, rather, every Christian needs Christ, and every Christian needs other Christians. This interdependency, that diversity of gifts, it keeps us from ingratitude, from envy, and from arrogance. Since each member of the body is necessary, we can be grateful for whatever gifts God has given us. He's given you that specific gift for the sake of the body. And on the same time, since each member of the body is necessary, we all have our part to play, and there's no room for envying our neighbor. I wish I was doing what he was doing. No, you've been called to something else. And since each member of the body is necessary, no member is more important than the other members, and there's no room for arrogance. St. John Chrysostom writes, I like Chrysostom. I quote from him a lot, so there we go. <laughs> And it helps that he actually preached on the texts pretty systematically. So we have a lot of what Chrysostom said. Some of the fathers we don't uh, when it comes to the specific text. Anyway, St. John Chrysostom, he writes, One might say that the whole body receives increase as each member partakes of the distribution of the gifts proportionally. In this way, the members receiving the distribution in according with their own capacities are thus increased. The spirit flowing abundantly from above, comes into contact with all of the limbs and distributes according to the ability of each one to receive, thus enabling bodily growth. 
So St. Paul urged the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. He urged them to walk in humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. When we use our gifts in this way, we will be a body that's built up in love. There is nothing uglier than a church that is driven by arrogance, strife, and pettiness. But there's nothing more beautiful than a church that is walking together in humility, gentleness, and patience, walking together in the Spirit and imitating our Lord Jesus to the glory of God. And so we pray that it may be so here at All Saints, in the San Antonio Archdeaconry, in the Diocese Province, and indeed in the whole church. And we say these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.